0: a tie on. <laughs> I put that tie on. I said, Pastor, I'm going to pass out. I'll turn blue. Don't think I'm a smurf up there. I put. <laughs> where, where, where's Brother Steve go? Brother Steve, where you at? Raise your hand. Stephen, thank you, brother. You know what? I do have two left feet, and I, I'm one of the stiff persons. The most you get out of me is I lean like a cholo when I do my worship, but brother, you inspired me. If Brother Steve could cut loose... That's not a cane. That's a can. He's got a can up there. He can do it. You can do it. Amen. You inspired me, brother, just to let that worship in that that song. Uh, You you do have an advantage in your DNA. But um, (laughs) who said that ain't right? (laughs) Hey, no, the truth is always not right. Um, And where's the general at? Where'd the general go? he ain't here today? I teased the brother about wearing a military shirt and they said he retired it. Everybody in here is gifted. Amen. If you're gifted and you know it, say, Amen. Everybody in here has a gift from God. Know your gift from God, okay? My gift is comedy. That's what God gave me, okay? You see some pastors, Pastor, Stevan, Pastor, Sonny, they are so anointed. If they pray for you, you fall out. They got that kind of gifting? They are so anointed. They pray for you, you fall out. I didn't get that kind of gifting. I got jokes. (laughs) Because God knows us, and he knows what gifts he wants to give us. He knew that if he gave me that kind of anointing, I would abuse it. My sense of humor, man, if I had that kind of anointing and I went to the movies and there was a big head person in front of me, I'd be like, ooh, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> I go to the post office and there's a long line. I'd be like, oh, we're about to have revival up in here. Give <laughs> <laughs> me jokes. Everybody ready for Christmas? Merry This is my favorite time of year. I talk about Christmas all year long, but this is my favorite time of year. Anybody do Black Friday shopping? I got up early yesterday. I was in line at 4.30 in the morning at the dollar store. I was doing it. (laughs) Don't hate 10%. is 10%, man. hooked up the whole family for 1950. I got them all. <laughs> my favorite Christmas of all time, because he said my dad, was, my dad was a pastor, but he didn't start out that way. My dad was a heroin addict that was saved in a prison cell one-on-one with Jesus. This is back in the 1950s. A Mexican selling drugs to a federal agent, they put you away and throw away the key. But my dad, in a prison cell, loaded on heroin, cried out, God, change me. He didn't go through no 12-step program. He didn't go through Celebrate Recovery. One-on-one, boom, God changed him. In 40 years, he preached the gospel. But he started out as a thug. Grew up in West Oakland. I mean, my favorite Christmas of all time was we were broke. My dad had a car a car accident had broken my dad's back, so he was always having different surgeries. I was 10 years old, and we didn't have a Christmas tree. And My dad felt like he let us down because we were so broke we didn't have a tree. My dad jumped the neighbor's fence. We went to bed on Christmas Eve. He jumped the neighbor's fence and cut a tree down. <laughs> <laughs> he was from the streets, man. We woke up Christmas morning. It was like a miracle, big tree in the living room. All the decorations were orange. <laughs> it was an orange tree, bro. That's my easiest joke. Come on, man. <laughs> I can sense the spirit of Martha Stewart over here. They're like, that's wrong, orange. Blue, red, green, never orange. <laughs> My dad was proud of that tree. This one came ready. (laughs) (laughs) And every year, my mom and dad would tell us, look, don't expect much. But this one particular year, they sat us down. Dad was off work. They said, look, we're not getting you anything. We're not trying to trick you. But Salvation Army showed up that day. Salvation Army on Christmas Eve showed up. You know, people ring the bell by Kmart and Walmart. They, I give to them every year because they showed up with a box of used toys. And when you're 10 years old and you're told you're not getting anything, a used toy is as good as a new toy. Amen? And I got the coolest toy you could get back then. Where are the fellas that had the electric vibrating football set? Who had the electric vibrating football set? All the young guys, with Madden, you plug it in, it's ready on the Xbox. That ain't nothing right there. Electric vibrating football set, if you don't know anything about that, it's a piece of metal painted like a football field. Look at a little stadium around it. Had an electric switch. You hit the switch, and all your players would go across the field like this. <laughs> Took 20 minutes to do one play. Because <laughs> they, they had little plastic feet, and if you didn't clean them, you hit the switch, they would just go like this right here. I was the happiest kid in America. I had an electric vibrating football set. I didn't care that it was used. Set it up, 20 minutes to get all the players in place. I hit the switch, and it didn't work. (laughs) I started to cry, man. I was like, this is my only toy, and it's broken. But my mom, because she grew up poor, she knew how to overcome situations. She got my sisters, and both of them were kind of chunky. She got them, and she made them stand right by my football set. She said, your cheerleaders dance. And my sisters were going like this. My football players were going like this. (laughs) That was the best Christmas ever, man. (laughs) Don't tell my sisters I said that joke. They they don't like me talking about... (laughs) Good to be proud of, of who we are, amen? Political correctness Political correctness wants us to think, oh, we're all the same, we're all the same. To say we are all the same denies God's creation. Amen. He knew what he was doing when he made the different tribes of the world, and there's nothing wrong with celebrating that, not making fun of it, but celebrating it, and in my line of work, laughing with each other, okay? Nothing wrong with that. I'm proud of my culture. My grandfather came from Mexico. First 10 years in California, he picked fruit. Mm. He retired from the federal government working on, he was at Mare Island Navy Station in Vallejo. He worked on submarines. I thought he was like a captain. He was the janitor. That's not the point, okay? (laughs) (laughs) All I know is he went to the Navy Yard and came home every day. But he never let us forget that our start in America started in the fields picking fruit. Every summer he would take my mom and all her brothers and sisters He would take them, make them pick fruit for their school clothes, but also to remind them, this is how we got started. All these years later, I try to carry on the tradition. I got to go to school. I got to serve my country. I love technology. I got the iPad with me today. I used to judge preachers that had iPads until I got one, and I was like, (laughs) (laughs) now I got one. I was like, I don't need to take my Bible. I got my Bible or my iPad. I got my computer at home. I got my new Android phone. I'm blessed, and I sell that so I can go on Facebook and play FarmVille. (laughs) (laughs) Just like grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody on FarmVille? Where's FarmVille? Just me and Brother Steven, okay. (laughs) If you've never played FarmVille, don't. It's the crack of the internet. It start running your life, huh, bro? It, my wife was mad at me cause it was cause you start off with twelve little plots, they little by inch by inch, and you plant your fruit and vegetables, and you pick them, take them to the market, you sell them, you get more money, you could buy a bigger farm, you could buy decorations for your farm. I had the biggest farm you could get. They let me have a second farm, two big farms, and depending on what you plant, like grapes are ready in fifteen minutes, <laughs> pineapples four days, everything in between. If you don't pick them on time. They go bad, you lose your money. I had just planted two farms full of tomatoes. And my wife said, let's go to the movies. I "I, I, I, I can't. I said, why? I said, the tomatoes, they they go bad. I I lose my money. You know, the economy is bad. I'm not losing my farm to go see a movie. She made me quit. She was like, you're done. <laughs> but today we want to talk about legacy. Amen. The legacy of victory outreach is a rich, deep, powerful legacy. Amen. Amen. The legacy of Victory Outreach, I did a little research. Uh, I did a little research for the for the uh for the theme of today. Victory Outreach, as you know, some of you may know, some of you may not know, was started in 1967. In Pastor Sonny and Sister Julia's house. By the early 70s, Pastor Sonny's vision of faith led him to plant churches across California, and over the past 40 years, that faith has spread to over 30 countries across America and across the world. That, what we saw in the video, started in a house. That, that's, that's a powerful message of faith right there. That You know what? Just being obedient to God and say, okay, we could do a Bible study in our house, led to a conference in Africa where gang members were turning their lives over to Jesus. That's an incredible <laughs> legacy. And I think that's, that's the difference about Pastor Sonny's vision and Pastor Julia's vision from other pastors that have planned churches is that their faith was that God restores people. Victory outreach goes to where no other churches want to go. Victory Outreach says, you know what? We see we see ourselves in the lost and we want to bring them home. That's a powerful legacy of Victory Outreach. Victory Outreach gets it. They understand that everybody that God created is part of a royal priesthood. Amen. How many of you know your priesthood? You're part of a royal priesthood. Amen. Legacy is defined as a gift of property. Especially personal property as money by will, a bequest. I like this second definition. Anything handed down from the past as from an ancestor or predecessor. How many of you know the legacy of Victory Outreach? But more than that, the legacy of the body of Christ is very deep. Yes. We, it would be easy, and there's nothing wrong with being proud of our legacy of Victory Outreach means started in a little house in Southern California. But the legacy of Victory Outreach, the legacy of the body of Christ goes so much further than that. In, in America, especially with our, our shallow, uh, you know, we're so shallow in America. You know, we, we define ourselves by our sports teams. We define ourselves by our ethnicity. You know, we define. You know, you know, Latinos will get together and they'll be divided. Well, I'm Mexican, I'm Puerto Rican. You know, we're all Latinos. The cops, the cops do not discriminate. They look at you and go, you're a beaner, come with me. We define ourselves by where we're from, you know, East Coast, West Coast. Sadly, we define ourselves by gang members, by what gang affiliation we have. But our legacy as believers in Christ and children of God is so much further than that. Before you can understand what your legacy is, you have to understand who your God is. You got to understand who your creator is. What is your legacy? That's the question I want to ask you. What is your legacy? What are you going to, when you pass on, what is going to be said about you? What are you going to leave to the ones behind you? A. W. Tozer, he's a renowned Christian author. If he was in the Bible days, if he was he lived in the Bible days, he would have been a psalmist. That's a, his understanding and vision of God was so powerful and beautiful. If you can get any A. W. Tozer books, get them. They're just beautiful books. A. W. Tozer wrote, "We can never know who or what we are till we know at least something of what God is." You can't know anything about yourself. You can't know your identity. You can't know your legacy till you know something about your God. Amen. Amen. We hear the saying, "The God." Especially when I got to go to African American churches. I love our African American churches. They, they. Uh, so you get a chance to visit a Kojic. You know, don't leave Victory Outreach, but you get a chance to ever when you're traveling, go to a Kojic. They get worshiped down. You, you might feel like you're in the motherland because they cut loose too. They, uh. You hear in the African-American churches, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I never understood that. And when I got saved and I started going to Bible school, all I wanted was the New Testament. All I wanted was Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing to be in love with Jesus and wanting to know about your Savior. You should know everything about your Savior. But you've got to know something about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before you can even understand who Jesus is. When Moses was talking to God, everybody knows where God says, I am that I am. You know, Moses said, who should I say sent me? And God says, I am that I am. And that's powerful. God is the I am. But the next scripture is even more powerful because even God declares it. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, if you understand, Jesus didn't arbitrarily show up. Just some guy out of the blue. Over 60 prophecies talked about a man that would come from the legacy of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob wrestled with God and became Israel. Israel had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel that we know of. From those tribes came Judah. From Judah came a man named David. From David came Mary and Joseph. And from Mary and Joseph comes our Savior, Jesus. You've got to know your God before you can know anything about yourself. Amen? Amen. It's so important to understand the legacy of Jesus so you can understand your blessings. You can understand that we defined legacy as something being handed down from the past. What is being handed down to you? That would be part of your legacy, also part of your inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Somebody say, in Christ. In Christ. Everything you have, everything you want to be, everything you are, your identity is in Christ. And when you understand who Jesus is, when you understand who he is, and then you can start understanding who you are. That's why it's so important to understand something about your God so you can receive part of your inheritance. Every, he didn't say some of the blessings in heaven are yours. He didn't say when you get to heaven, you'll receive these blessings. Paul writes, every Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. Our legacy is in Christ. It's so easy to sit and wonder, okay, I've accepted Jesus as my savior. I don't have any of those blessings. Why? Ask yourself that. Why? Why am I not living out those blessings? Maybe it has something to do with holding on to our heart. We give God, we ask him into our heart, and we we make room for our forgiveness from Jesus. We say, yes, I accept my forgiveness. I accept you as my Savior. Lord, forgive me. But then we hold on to our past. We hold on to our scars. God wants your heart. He doesn't want your work. He doesn't want anything you could buy, anything you accomplished on your own. He wants all of your heart. That is the essence of your relationship and your identity in Christ. He's after your heart. Amen? Amen. Am I at a Pentecostal church? Okay, I'm just checking. Somebody should be excited about knowing who their identity in Christ is. Amen? David, who was referred to as a man after God's own heart, that made me want to study David. That made me want to understand David. And I think one of the, everybody, everybody realized that David was flawed, amen. David committed adultery as the king. David sent one of his friends, one of his homies, out to the battlefront knowing he would be killed so he could have his wife. David was not a good person. But David understood the essence of God. He understood that God wasn't after rituals. He wasn't after ceremony. God was after his heart. So David, caught in sin, didn't run. He said he's the king of Israel. He's the one that was prophesied would come and lead Israel. Caught in sin, he could have called the priest, the high priest, say, come on, do all the ceremonies, do the rituals, do everything we need to do for the atonement. I've messed up. David didn't do that. David didn't run to the law. David ran to God's heart. In Psalms 51, he says, God, have mercy on me because of your love. He knew God was in love with him. Have mercy on me because of your love. David went after God's heart, and that, that was because he knew God was after his heart. Part of your inheritance In order to receive it is you have to surrender your heart, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We are a royal priesthood, and we have to start living like that. Amen? Amen. I want all the ladies to say, I'm a princess. princess. Okay, we got four princesses in this whole church. I want all the ladies to say, I'm a a princess. Amen. All the men to say, I'm a prince. First Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. We are a royal priesthood called to be the light into the darkness of this world. Amen. But yet we walk around defeated. How can we talk about we serve the king of kings, we, we serve the creator of this world, we serve God, oh my God. And we're like this, oh. These brothers in Africa get it. They understand freedom. Some of us don't understand freedom because we haven't received part of our legacy. We haven't received the inheritance that's part of our legacy. We haven't started walking out those blessings. And, that, and that, that perplexes me. How come we're not living as a victorious church? In the richest country in the world, how can we walk around like we're defeated and the world doesn't see the light? These are questions I ask. I'm in a season of being real and raw with God. How many, like, how many know that when you're real and raw with God, he can be real and raw with you, okay? Don't act like you're super holy Christian on Sunday, but the rest of the week you're something else, okay? And I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about where you walk around and you're having a struggle worshiping because of the weight of your problems, because of the weight of life. You have trouble raising your hands to God. But on Sunday, you can raise your hand. God knows your heart, and that's what he's after. So when you're real and raw with God, he can be real and raw with you, which opens up heaven so he can pour out those blessings in Christ. Amen? My realest and rawest times with God is when he's been real with me. My dad passed away. I didn't understand. I wasn't serving the Lord. I, I was in Korea for a year and a half with the Air Force, and I came home, and I had a year with my dad, and I saw him deteriorate. By the time my dad passed, they had him on seven different narcotics for pain. And being a heroin addict, when they put him on methadone, I got a glimpse of my dad from the 50s, because methadone is a heroin substitute, and I saw that old cholo come out in him. I was hilarious, but it was sad, too, at the same time. And I said, man, I I was angry the night he passed, because my dad, up to the day he died, had faith that God would heal him so he could return to pastor his little church in East Oakland. And I drove home at 2 in the morning. After we went with my mom to the house, we sat with my mom till 2 in the morning, and I drove from Oakland to Fairfield. I stayed strong for my mom, but when I drove was when I could be real and raw with God. Because when I walked into the hospital room and saw that my dad had passed, I wasn't serving the Lord, and I cussed at God. And then I thought I was bad, and I thought the wall at Kaiser was sheetrock. It it wasn't. It was cement. and. You guys remember Nutty Professor, the movie where he would blow up? I, I, my hand went Nutty Professor because that wall won. And I, I was so angry. <laughs> and I, uh, I was angry, and my uncle grabbed me and said, don't cuss at God. Other religions would teach you that if you were so raw with God that you swore at him in his name, you would be cursed. Our God's skin is thick enough to handle us being real and raw with him. Our God's skin is so thick, he can hang from a cross and say, I love you. Come on now. And as I drove in the car home, as I was going through the Caldecott Tunnel, heading back to Fairfield, the anger set aside, and I just asked him, why? Why did you allow him to suffer kidney failure, amputation of his leg? My dad was such an old-school cholo from my old-school cholos. The first thing he noticed when he cut off his leg is that his Mi Vida Loca, <laughs> Mi vida loca tattoo was gone. He was like, hey, my tattoo. And I, <laughs> I, was, I got a kick out of him for that right there. But <laughs> be real and raw with God. I just said, why? Why didn't you take him? If you were going to take him anyway, why make him suffer? Forty years he preached your gospel and you had him suffer? I was questioning God. Why? And when I'm real and raw with God, and when you're real and raw with God, is when he could talk back to you. As I said, why? He said, because I gave you time with him. God had faith in my father that my dad would hold on and receive his blessings on his healing on the other side. If he had taken him a year and a half before, I would have been in Korea and not had that last year to take my dad to ball games and to sit and talk with my dad. My dad was worried about me because I wasn't serving the Lord. And to have my dad minister to me and say, son, there's a calling on your life. What are you doing? When you're real and raw with God, he can be real and raw with you. Our legacy doesn't call us to be religious. It calls us to give our heart to Jesus. With our legacy comes a calling. Amen. How many know there's a calling on your life? Not everybody's called to be a pastor. Not everybody's called to be a preacher. But everybody in here is called to live a life worthy. Ephesians 4.1, that's my favorite scripture this year. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now that worthiness isn't speaking of this self-righteous worthiness. We walk around with our heads up because I'm a Christian. I'm better than you. You don't have light see too many Christians walking around like they're spotlights. We're called to be lighthouses. You know, the police use a spotlight to call attention to the criminal. Freeze. A lighthouse calls the loss to safety. Amen. That worthiness commentaries that wrote that Paul was speaking of balance as if he was telling a prince or a princess, your father is the king. Walk around like you're a child of the king. Let me break it down to you like this. Remember, Princess Died from England? The princess, and she was killed tragically. And her little boys, they were small, they're men now, but they were small. And every picture you saw of those boys after she died, their heads were held high. Hair was perfect, their outfits were perfect. And you looked at those boys and said, those are the future kings of England. You looked at them and the world knew those boys were royalty. If children of a dead princess could walk around like the royalty, how much more should children of a living king walk around like we are a royal priesthood? That is our legacy. I want all my blessings. Amen. What's it take us to get our blessings? What's it take us to walk around like we're children of the living king? We have to surrender, we have to open up our hearts. So that God has room to pour out his blessings. How many of you have ever been hurt in life? I've been hurt. This year was the roughest year of my life. Losing dad is hard. But losing mom, I heard people say losing mom is a different thing. I lost mom this year. And I was angry at God. Even though I'm saved this round, I wasn't saved when my dad passed. Even though I'm serving the Lord and I'm in school, I was disappointed in God. And I talked to him about it. Two years, I testified, I even testified with you guys, that God had healed my mom from cancer. We didn't make it up. The doctors declared it. The doctors said there's no more cancer. Eleven different biopsies said there's no cancer. They took out the little spot of cancer in her stomach. Two years, I went around the country saying God healed my mom from cancer. And then in March... She calls me up. I'm in Bible school, and she knows I was in school, and she was so happy that I was studying the Word of God. And my phone goes off, and I had it on silent, but I could see it was mom. I said, that's not good. So I left class, and I answered, and she's in tears. She says, son, stage four cancer. And I, I was shook up. I didn't understand. I said, God, you healed her. But I had an eerie peace that this, it was the real deal. There was no healing. She was going to go home. I said, Jesus, this is on you. Two years, I gave you credit. I told the unsaved, God delivered my mom from cancer. I told the atheist, God delivered my mom from cancer. And now I look like a fool because cancer was ravaging her body. See, but my mom, in her sickness... She understood walking worthy of the call because how many of you know it's easy to walk worthy and walk around like a royal priesthood when you got a good job, when your house is paid, when your health is perfect, when your children are serving the Lord, when everything is perfect. It's so easy to walk around like you're a child of the living king. But how many of you know? That calling on our lives says that when you're going through some hard times, you walk around like you're a child of the living king because you know all your blessings in heaven are yours already. You may not know how the story's going to go out in the middle, but you know the ending. You win. 36 hours before my mom was called home, she sat in the edge of her bed in my sister's living room. My uncle played the piano and a couple of my aunts sang with her. One held one hand up, the other cousin held her other hand up for her because she was weak. And my mom sat there and spoke in her heavenly language. She was prepared to go worship the living king. And she said, I got to be ready. I'm about to go see my maker. See, that's walking worthy in the face of death. You lift your hands and say, I worship my king because he is sovereign. Amen. My mom had two prayer requests. I don't want to suffer long, don't pump me full of drugs, my God will take me when he wants me. Those are two contrary prayer requests, don't let me suffer, don't give me drugs. So we had her on a little bit of morphine drops but she didn't want that big dose that makes you unconscious. Six week fight and on Sunday everything turned bad. She passed away Monday morning at three in the morning but Sunday. She had one bad day, and I think if you lined up a million people that had passed from cancer and asked them, would you take one bad day, I think they'd all say, I'll do one bad day instead of a year of suffering. We were blessed. She didn't suffer long. At midnight, she was in a lot of pain, and the new nurse came on, and we said, where's the comfort pack? That's the nice way of saying, where are the drugs to put her down? And the nurse said, you guys have them. We said, no, you're supposed to deliver them. Two hours of arguing with the doctor. Nobody could understand how the drugs weren't there. It's 2 in the morning. The doctor finally gets it approved with the pharmacy to deliver three different heavy doses of morphine. Don't let me suffer. Don't pump me full of drugs. Doctor said they'll be there in one hour. At 3 a.m., my mom took her last breath. She didn't gasp for air, she didn't struggle, she laid there quietly and went to sleep. And we held her hands, and we, uh, we all were connected, holding hands together, and as she took her last breath, and the nurse said she's gone, we raised our hands and said she just saw Jesus. See, that's living a life worthy of the calling to your last breath, you worship the living God. An hour later, we're at the table, Death has just stung us. We're hurting. And there's a knock on the door. It's a young pharmacy employee delivering three heavy drugs. Too late, exactly. And, and in and my hurt with mom just passing, I said, look at that. They couldn't even get the drugs here on time. When you're real and raw, God can be real with you. And a sweet little voice whispered, I had this all along. God ran some interference to make sure that we could see his hand on her life as he called her home, that he would answer a dying widow's prayer, I won't let them pump you full of drugs. She didn't suffer. She went home to be with the Lord. That's a life worthy of the call. Went back to school a week after the funeral, being real and raw with God. I'm sitting in class, and a prayer request comes in. We have to pray for a brother who has been taken to the hospital. And the professor says, this is one of my church members. We don't know what's wrong with him. Something with his heart. Can we pray? So we all bow our heads. We do the Christian thing. We close our eyes, and as they start praying, here's what I told God. You want me to believe you're going to heal a stranger when you couldn't heal my mom? Being real and raw with God. Other religions, would go, man, you are a blaspheming. You, you should go to hell. But my God whispered back, I will be who I need to be in your life. He's not a good luck charm. Our legacy doesn't say we have a good luck charm, that when we're in trouble, we can rub on him. We're not serving Buddha when we rub on his belly. We're serving a sovereign God. And as we get educated, we start thinking, well, we'll call on Jehovah Rapha, our healer, our Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah, all the Jehovah Shalom, our peace. We call out all these things. The only Title you need to know and apply to God is, Jeho- is Jehovah Adonai. Jehovah our Lord. Because when he's Lord of your life, he'll fill in everything else that he needs to be in your life. I had such a peace about me when he explained to me, I am Lord. I will be Lord of your life. Now, how do we get all those blessings? We open our heart. It's so easy to hold on to hurt. And I see this a lot in the Christian community. We're narcissistic. We hold on to everything. Look at me. Look at look. I was messed up. I, I, I. That's the biggest thing I hear in the church. I. If Jesus, the Son of God, who surrendered to a cross, they didn't kill him, he surrendered. Now, in my carnal mind, I want my God to come off the cross and go, look, when he opens that tomb up, boom, couldn't touch me. I want him to come out that tomb with no scars and go, look, I'm God. They couldn't hurt me. But the Bible says he was scarred, amen. And then when they approached him, he said, don't touch me. I have to go see my father. Now, he goes before God. He goes before his father. And he surrenders all the hurts that he endured for you and for me on the cross. He surrenders them to his father. Now I'm thinking when he reappears, boom, bulletproof. No problems, no scars. But he appears before the disciples and his hands are still scarred. His side is scarred. And he says, what? Touch me now. You don't believe it was me. I'm the one that was on the cross. Go ahead and touch me. See, scars in your life show a purpose. They're for a purpose. They serve a purpose. But you have to surrender your hurts before those scars can serve a purpose. Because when you surrender them, you could be healed. Jesus went before his Father and surrendered all the hurts he endured on the cross. For all of mankind, every hurt that you have went through, he's already endured for you. He surrendered them before the Father, received all of his blessings. Then he used his scars as a witness to say, look, I'm the one that died for you. What you're going through in your life, what you've went through in your life, serve a purpose. Once you surrender them to God. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the awesome worship, for Lord, that we had the honor and privilege to serve to you. Today, as we talk about our legacy and our heritage father we thank you for all the blessings in heaven your words say there are ours in you Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with your creator you're searching for an identity and you say I don't even know who I am well you'll never know who you are a haircut a tattoo a clothing style is not going to change who you are I want a relationship with my creator. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you want to receive your heritage, you want to enjoy part of that great legacy of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you would just raise your hand, we would love to pray with you so you would receive all the blessings in heaven. Just raise your hand right where you're at, and we'll pray with you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. And secondly, you might say, Dennis, I've already accepted Jesus as my Savior. But I'm carrying around a lot of hurt. I'm not walking around like I'm a child of a living king. I'm walking around with a lot of pain and a lot of disappointment. Today's your day to receive healing. If you want to surrender your hurts to Jesus today, just raise your hand and we want to pray with you. God bless all those hands. Now for those that raise your hands, when you take that next step, now I want those that raise their hands for salvation to come right over here to my right, your left. Just stand up. Everybody, if you raise your hand, stand up. The Lord's already seen your heart. Just stand up. There's no shame in standing for Jesus. Now, if you raise your hand for salvation, come on over here to the right, to my right, your left. Just come over here, and we're going to pray with you. Come forward. Take that step. Bible says when someone accepts Jesus as their Savior, the angels celebrate. Join part of your party, your new birth in Christ. Come up here and celebrate with us. And for those that raise their hands, that they're ready to let go of all the garbage life is given them, don't let the devil rob you any more of your blessings. Don't let the devil rob you of your identity. Come forward right here to the left side of me. Prayer team, come forward. Now, for those that are accepting Jesus as their Savior, why don't you look up at me? You got to understand something. The devil is a liar, but here's one truth he will always say You're not worthy. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. Guess what, devil? You're right. None of us are worthy to receive God's blessings. But Jesus is worthy, and our identity is in him, okay? Your salvation, your relationship with God is through Jesus. So when the devil tells you you're not worthy for this, go, yeah, you're right. I'm not doing it. Jesus is doing it. Nothing you could do do earns your salvation other than asking Jesus into your heart. Amen? So we're going to say this prayer together. Just repeat after me, but mean it from your heart, okay? And corporately, there's nothing wrong with repeating this prayer together. It's the most beautiful prayer. Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I want a relationship with you. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. And I believe you rose from the tomb. Forgive me of my sins. Today, Jesus, I confess you as my Savior. I will pick up my cross and follow you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Give them a round of applause for writing their name down in the book of life.